welcome to another episode of the Wire to Wire podcast. As always, it's me, your host Yusuf. This will be a fun and interesting episode. So without further ado, let's just get right to it. So The Weeknd released his latest album, Don FM, on Friday, January 7th. Now, On the last episode that I did, I discussed what my expectations were for this project. Now, after listening to this album nonstop the past few days, I'm going to give my review and share my thoughts on it. So I tuned into the live stream on Amazon Music's Twitch page, and there he was standing on the stage wearing his old man costume, the same one that he was wearing on the album cover, and that he's been wearing throughout the different visuals for this project. But what I really enjoyed about this album is how cohesive and intricate it is. So the album just flows perfectly and the transitions are brilliant. So the transition from How Do I Make You Love Me to Take My Breath, or A Tale by Quincy to Out of Time, or from Best Friends to Is There Someone Else, or from Is There Someone Else to Starry Eyes, the transitions just fit perfectly. And if you listen to the album on repeat, and you go from the last track, Phantom Regret, that ties into the first track, Don FM. So it's almost like the album is on one loop. Now on the last episode, I said what I was most looking forward to is him having Jim Carrey on it and seeing what role Jim Carrey would play. And I also was curious to see what role Quincy Jones would play in this album. So Jim Carrey fit in well as the proverbial VJ of this radio station that's taking place in Purgatory. And he was a good addition to the album. I thought he did a good job in that role. Now Quincy Jones didn't really play much of a role as I thought he would. He just appeared on an interlude called A Tale by Quincy, and really it's just an audio snippet from an interview that he did basically discussing his upbringing. Now as it turns out, now in this story, he's basically discussing his family issues growing up and how it affected his future relationships. And it served as a backdrop to the theme of the next song, Out of Time, which became a fan favorite for many people. Now in the last episode, I said I didn't think that Tyler the Creator should have been on the album. And after listening to the album, I stand by my opinion. He had a below mediocre verse on Here We Go Again, and his bars were trash. But luckily, The Weeknd performed well enough on that song that really his verse became an afterthought. Now I thought Lil Wayne's verse was pretty good on I Heard You're Married. But honestly, I stand by what I said. My preference would have just been for him to just do the album without any guest features other than Jim Carrey and that Quincy Jones interlude. What I found to be more incredible than the music itself was the impact that it had. So this album sparked the kind of conversation that you usually see around movies or TV series. Now there were a few fan theories all over Twitter and even The Weeknd himself, he got involved in some of them. So for example, There was a fan theory that I was reading about that they thought I Heard You're Married is about Ariana Grande. Now when I saw this one I laughed because I don't really know about it and I highly doubt that it's true. I'm not really one to get into celebrity gossip or things like that but I mean one time I saw online that he was third wheeling with Ariana Grande and her husband to the movies one time. So I highly doubt that that song is about her. So I think people are kind of reaching with that one. But another one I saw was on Here We Go Again. He's basically confirming that him and Angelina Jolie were fucking. So for the most part of last year, they were captured all over LA hanging out together. 
And from stuff that I read, apparently it was just as friends for them to discuss Ethiopia and the movie industry. Yeah, okay. We all thought they were fucking, and this song basically confirmed it. But to me, the most interesting theory is when The Weeknd said that we're currently in the middle of a trilogy. Now this one I can definitely see. In the intro track, Don FM, when Jim Carrey starts to speak, he says that it's going to be commercial free music. But on Every Angel is Terrifying, it's basically a commercial promoting something called Afterlife. Now could it be that After Hours was the first album, Don FM is the second album, and that Afterlife will be the next album to complete the trilogy? Now he teased the idea, but he didn't really confirm it either. So this goes back to what I was saying earlier. The engagement and conversation surrounding his work is like the kind of things you would see with movies, TV series, or even with novels and comic books. And all of these things are why I, I believe that he's currently the best musical artist right now. And he's light years ahead of everyone else. And it's really not even close. The quality of his music, the concepts behind each of his projects, all of it just fits. And so far, he's released music videos for Sacrifice and Gasoline since the album dropped. And even when I think about it from a historical perspective, there's not really an artist that I can think of other than Michael Jackson that has really done something like this. And the feedback for this album has been really good for the most part. Music producer Timbaland said that this album is like Thriller. Now, I wouldn't say that it's Thriller. I would say this is more of a hybrid between off the wall and bad. This album perfectly captured the 80s sound. So I think with After Hours, he was testing the waters with it, but now he fully dived into it. And I thought he did an incredible job. There's no artist today that has the songwriting ability or musical prowess to make an album like this. But like all things, there was some criticism. You have the fans who were basically saying they want him to go back to his trilogy mixtape sound. And he was on Twitter and he basically told those factions of the people that he needs to evolve as an artist. And honestly, I agree. If people want the trilogy sound, then just go listen to trilogy. People have to evolve. And I always find that criticism funny because if The Weeknd listened to those people and he just kept sticking with the same kind of sound and making the same kind of music, those same people would complain and say all his music sounds the same and eventually it'll get old and boring for them. Then they'll move on to another, more newer artist that's doing something new. And if he listened to those people and gave them what they wanted, he wouldn't expand to a more wider audience because he's only focused on trying to please his core audience and he'd probably lose a lot of the popularity that he has now. He wouldn't win nearly as much awards. He wouldn't be breaking the records that he's breaking now. And he wouldn't be doing a Super Bowl performance. He would just be that artist that makes the same music under different album titles. And we know artists who are like that right now. And how serious do we really take them? So just let the man live. Let him experiment with his music and just let him evolve. So all in all, I give this album a 10 out of 10. While I could have done without the appearances by Tyler the Weirdo, <laughs> I'm sorry, I meant Creator and Lil Wayne, it's not enough for me to bring down the score of the album or what it was trying to achieve. So I'm going to say 10 out of 10. And in my humble opinion, I would say that so far, he has released two of the best albums of this decade. First it was After Hours and now it's Don FM. But that's all I got for you guys for now. We'll take a quick break and I'll be right back with more. Thank you.
So I'm sure most of us seen the video of Antonio Brown taking off his jersey on the sideline and then leaving the field abruptly. And immediately it was painted as him quitting on the team. Many people were hitting me up saying I should discuss this on my podcast. But I knew well enough to wait for more details to emerge, hear both sides of the story, and then to form an opinion. So here's some background. So we seen Antonio Brown leaving the field, and it was initially being reported by his coach and the media that he was refusing to play and essentially quitting on the team. But a couple of days later, Antonio Brown released a statement through his lawyer saying that he was being asked to play despite having an ankle injury, and then the coach threatened him, which then led to him wanting to leave the field. Now, the coach said he had no idea that his ankle was bothering him, but Antonio Brown released the text messages showing that he did in fact know about it, but the coach just didn't care. So the team eventually released Antonio, and the rest is history. And that brings us to where we are today. So the media portrayal has been showing Antonio Brown as the bad guy, and of course, the coach, Bruce Arians, is walking away from this unscathed. And this is something that we see all too often. So you guys know me on this show, I never shy away from discussing race, and I definitely believe that there is a racial element to this. And there's also a power dynamic that we see happening here. And this is something that we see often between staff and employees. So that's why when I really sat back and thought about this topic, I found it to be interesting because there's so many layers to peel back from it, and I want to get into all of them. So I want to start with the actual interaction between Brown and Arians from a management to employee interaction standpoint. So in football, the players are the product. The coach is merely a sideshow to the players themselves, which is the main show. So Antonio Brown was coming back from an ankle injury and he tried to rush his return and play through it. Now let me ask you this. Prior to this whole pandemic, how many of you guys worked through being sick or you called in sick and felt guilty about it? Or how about if you needed an extended absence for a sickness? How many hoops did you have to jump through for your employer in order to get that approval? So we know that this struggle already exists. So going back to that question of extended absences, how many follow-ups and check-ins did you experience for them to see whether or not you're fit to return to work? So employers, they need labor. And I think in moments like this, and in those scenarios and questions from earlier, the humanity can get lost in that. And what happens is employees start to be seen as numbers and a means of productivity rather than people. And a lot of employers, they talk that mental health game and they have those togetherness talks. Until a matter of health and wellness actually comes up, then the actions are different. And I think that's what we saw in play there. Now let's focus on the racial element because that definitely exists. Now will I say that the NFL is like slavery? No, I wouldn't go that far. But I will say that there's definitely a power dynamic in place that consistently finds older white men in positions of power over younger black men, and it's covered by mainstream media 
that scrutinizes black athletes to a much higher degree than their Caucasian counterparts. So when Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers are on the sidelines yelling at their teammates, or they're sitting away from the team, they're applauded for being passionate leaders, or they're taking a moment to think deeply on how to win. But when black athletes exhibit those same behaviors, they're called erratic, reclusive, and they're alienating their teammates. So is there a double standard in coverage? So when Christoph Porzingis of the Dallas Mavericks is accused of raping a woman in his New York condo a couple of years ago, did you ever hear any commentator bring that up when he's playing? Do we even know what the outcome was of that case? Now it was reported briefly, but the story died down and was buried so quick. Now, do you think a black athlete would be afforded that same luxury? God rest his soul, Kobe Bryant, he had a similar situation, and that came up beside his name, even after his death. It was brought up by Gail King and others in the media. So clearly, there is a level of scrutiny that black athletes are subjected to that white athletes just aren't. Look at how people reacted to Aaron Rodgers and the jab versus Kyrie Irving and the jab. So when Antonio Brown had this incident, why was it the media's first inclination to say that he quit? And when he came with evidence to show that Arians was being dishonest about not having knowledge of his injury, why wasn't the coach's character brought into question the same way Brown's was? When new information was presented in regards to this story, why didn't the media's response change accordingly? Why didn't they keep that same energy for Arians? Instead, the story died down, and we've never really heard much about it again, other than Antonio Brown was released from the team. Hmm, that's almost the same thing that happened with Christoph Porzingis' case. So, in regards to Antonio Brown, he began to speak out and he discussed that he believed his friendship with Tom Brady wasn't genuine and that Tom Brady only cared about winning football games. So in this case, I would say that Brown is being a bit naive. Of course Tom Brady only cared about him for that purpose. Tom Brady is a professional football player, and he's also a company man. So he's always going to toe the company line. And you know what? I can see why. In that organization, he's treated like a partner, and he holds clout there. So if he really wanted Antonio Brown to stay, could he have gotten them to make him stay? Sure. But because he's treated with so much reverence and respect within that organization, and he is a company man, he's not going to rock the boat or go against what the coach and ownership wants to do. It's a boys club up there, and Antonio Brown is not part of it. So Antonio Brown and many of us need to understand that it's the work that comes first, and the relationships come second. So sometimes at work, they try to sell the idea of a work family. And while I definitely think it's good to get along and have positive relationships with colleagues and management, Understand that the work comes first. Everyone is there to earn a living. So for Tom Brady, his goal is to win games and championships. And he sees that Antonio Brown is talented enough to help him do so. And that is his primary concern. The camaraderie is second to the game. So the only part Antonio Brown is mistaken on is this. He's taking the situation with Tom Brady personally because he feels betrayed. But he... And many of us need to understand that when it comes to work or business, getting things done takes precedence over the relationships. 
At his age and at this stage in his life, Antonio Brown should know that part better. So maybe Tom Brady was being nice to let him stay at his place. But I believe that he only did it because he thought that Antonio Brown would help him achieve his goal of winning. And that he thought by being nice to him, it will help bring the best out of Antonio Brown. Now I'm pretty sure Tom Brady isn't inviting the ball boys on the team to stay at his place too. So from that aspect, Antonio Brown should have known that it's business first. And he wouldn't be as shocked or surprised by the outcome. But that's all I got for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Wire to Wire podcast. Be sure to share and subscribe. You can also check out my books, including my latest one, Quarantine Thoughts, available at all retailers. The link is in the description. Until next time.